Over the past few months, a series of Irish Times reports about Dublin landlord Mark Goddard have provided an insight into the seriously flawed Irish rental market and the powerlessness of tenants. In this episode from April, we followed the money and learned about the origins of Goddard's rental empire and how it traces back to his family in Luxembourg. Two weeks ago, we heard from Irish Times reporter Olivia Kelly about how tenants living in a Dublin apartment block were evicted because, they were told, the landlord was selling up. They then discovered that their their former homes were now up on the renting platform Airbnb and they could recognise them from the interiors and from the views of the window. Those were their homes. The name of the landlord behind this was Mark Goddard. Goddard is a native of Luxembourg, he's 34 years old, and he's become a player in the Irish rental property market. The Irish Times has published several more reports about Mr Goddard, uncovering how this young entrepreneur came to be a landlord, unafraid of engaging in sharp practice. So far, the Irish Times has been unable to get any comment from him. Mark Goddard. It's a story that has surprising origins. This whole story begins in Luxembourg at this rather ordinary-looking suburban house. Monsieur Godat? You come from Ireland, you told me that's crazy. That's right. And it's a story that shows how the chaos of Ireland's property market can be exploited, bringing huge gains for some and misery to others. It has been very stressful, quite terrifying, to be honest, at times. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, how Mark Goddard built an Irish rental empire. Naomi O'Leary, welcome to the podcast. I want to start by quickly listing what we know about Mark Goddard's activities in Ireland. Companies he is associated with own or control many Irish properties. In Dublin 8, tenants in one of those properties were evicted. The apartments were then placed on Airbnb. There was a failure to get correct planning permission for renting these and other properties on Airbnb as a short-term let. In one case, it's been alleged by former tenants that they were confined to a kitchen while their belongings were removed and they were evicted. And as we'll hear later, Mr Goddard is in dispute with one Dublin couple who say he rented their property as his own home, but then sublet it without their permission. And now he refuses to leave the property. But Mark Goddard is just one man. He's just one landlord. Why is the story of Mark Goddard such an important story right now? I think for one thing, it's because of the experience of tenants. Um, So, you know, you had dozens of people who were put out of their homes on um, in Dolphin's Barn in last October. And we know that at least one of those people went through a period of homelessness subsequently. This is happening during a time of an extreme housing crisis in Ireland, where there's a massive shortage of supply. And the costs are extremely high for people. It's all coming to a head now with the lifting of the eviction ban. It tells a story of what people are able to do as landlords. Um, It tells a story of the experience of tenants in Ireland. And really, it tells the story of inequality. You've got this situation where people on the losing end, people are having to pay rents that are extremely high, are trapped in a situation that they're not able to get out of. And the person, because of luck, because of family circumstances, because of having money, that person is getting, you know, richer and richer, whereas the people who are 
um, having to pay for their accommodation and who don't have the same advantages aren't able to progress. So it kind of is a snapshot of a wider societal issue. Naomi, to get to the origins of this story, you went to Luxembourg. What were you hoping to find there? The reason why I went to Luxembourg was because when we study the complex web of companies that Mark Goddard operates his property interests in Ireland through, he's named it as having a role in some 56 different firms. There are a certain number of Luxembourg addresses that appear again and again. We didn't know what I would find there. But in the tradition of shoe leather journalism, I went to Luxembourg and just turned up and started knocking on doors. So I was getting buses all over Luxembourg to random streets and suburbs, just knocking on doors and seeing whose name was on the letterbox and what company names were on letterboxes. And on this particular street, as I approached an address which is particularly commonly listed as an address linked to various companies that Mark Goddard has a stake in, I came across a man sweeping the driveway and I asked if he was René Goddard. Monsieur Goddard? That would be Mark Goddard's father. Je suis Naomi O'Leary, je suis un journaliste de l'Irish Times. Why did you want to interview his father? Well, I didn't know it was his dad until René Goddard confirmed it to me. So I thought that I might find someone with the name René Goddard at that address because René Goddard is named as the director of multiple Luxembourg firms who own and lend money to Mark Goddard's Luxembourg firms. Okay. And it was René Goddard who founded the initial real estate companies in Luxembourg that would go on to be the parent companies of the Irish uh, firms. So what happened next on that driveway on this very ordinary house? I walked up and I addressed him in French. I wasn't sure what language to use. Enchanté. Enchanté. Je suis ici en Luxembourg pour savoir plus de votre investissement en Irlande. And I explained that I was there to understand more about his property investments in Ireland. Oh, OK, well, I'm not interested. <laughs> J'ai quelques demandes. Vous avez no, cinq no, minutes? No, 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 no. Once I said that, he became a bit less friendly and he basically brushed me off and he said I needed to address all those questions to his son. You ask my son, he's in Ireland, not me. His son was the one who was in charge of everything in Ireland, so that confirmed the family link and it confirmed that this was a family who was behind this property empire. We could have guessed that by the names and the ages of all those people who were named as directors and secretaries and having various roles in this huge international constellation of firms. But it wasn't until I actually addressed him and spoke to René Goddard that we uh, could confirm that this was a family behind this property empire. Yes, but you and your wife are named yes. as directors and owners of Hesper SA, yes. which yes. is the owner yes. of his company. So, yes, um, you come from Ireland, you told me that crazy. That's right. But he made it very clear that he didn't want to talk to me. Well, it happens that um, there's yes, a number of rulings by the Residential Tenancy Board in favour yes, of his tenants. I, know I put a number of questions to him. I asked him whether payments would be made to the number of tenants who say that they're still awaiting payments from Mark Goddard after getting rulings in their favour from the Residential Tenancy Board. You ask my son, he's, he, he knows everything. I, I am not 
I know not everything what happens there. Mm. Well, he has to pay some fines, and he hasn't paid uh-huh. them to the tenants. Will he do so? I don't know. And in addition, there's also an issue of Airbnbs, which what are illegal. What are you doing there? I'm recording our conversation. Oh, bye-bye. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have bye-bye. any comment at all about where the money comes from, all these investments? Or why did you choose Ireland in the first place? Right. He actually pressed a button so that the shutters started to come down on the garage and he retreated into the house garage and I couldn't ask him any more questions. Will you regularise the Airbnb lettings? Nevertheless, I I wrote down a list of further questions on a piece of paper and I addressed it to René Goddard and his wife, Denise Wester. And I left it in the post box with my phone number and my email address. But we never heard anything back. I also tried to call Mark Goddard, as my colleagues have many times. Um, We've called him um, without success. He hasn't responded to our emails, to our messages left. And we also have tried to find him in Dublin um, and put our questions to him, but without success. You've told us about the business links between René Goddard, his wife Denise, and his son Mark. But how did it all start? How did this unassuming-looking man come to be in the middle of all this? It all started in 2001. René Goddard was then an employee of a railway company. He co-founded a company he had the majority share of and his wife, Denise Wester, or sometimes named as Wester Goddard, she had a slightly smaller stake in it. Um, And then they went on to found a series of additional firms after that. And once their son, Mark, who was born in 1989, came of age, he quickly began to be named to roles in these companies. So while he was still a student in 2007, he was named as the auditor of the accounts on one of these firms. These are companies that have, you know, assets in the millions. Where are the Goddard family getting their money? It all basically became clear when I turned up at the Goddard family home. So this is the suburban cottage, comfortable cottage in Hesperange. When I was walking to the cottage in the streets around it, it was slightly confusing because it doesn't look at all like what it looks like on Google Maps. And that's because Google Maps satellite imagery of that place hasn't been updated since 2009. So you can see that in the last 14 years, the physical environment around the house has absolutely transformed. It used to be rolling fields around this cottage. There used to be sheep that you would be able to see outside the window grazing in the grass. This is very much a kind of rural setting on the outskirts of Luxembourg City. And today it's completely unrecognisable. It's all of the adjoining lots around the house have been filled in with apartment blocks, some of them with retail on the ground floor, with other new built houses and so on. So what's happened is that the land all around this house has been a part of the Luxembourg building boom, which has been going on over the last the past decade or so. Um, so my suspicion, um, also because I found out that the surname of the mother is the name of a prominent local farming family. My suspicion was that these are people who had land and who sold that land or made money out of it in the Luxembourg building boom um, in, by going into development. And that was confirmed then by people who knew the family for a long time. So 
they're a family who hit the jackpot, in essence, through the increase in the value of their own property. Luxembourg is one of the richest countries in the world. Um, and the prices of houses even now, you know, the average price of a house in Luxembourg is like three times what it might be in Dublin. The, the money from Luxembourg goes much further in Ireland. So that explains why you might have a family. They might be ordinary enough, but they were able to build a property empire because they invested at the right time in Ireland and kind of dogged efforts of Mark Goddard in maximising the revenue of every property he can get his hands on um, has continued to build up that property empire since. Do the Goddards have any links with Ireland? Does the family have any links? My understanding is that they heard about the opportunities in Ireland through an Irish acquaintance. This was, the t- this was a time when lots of hundreds of properties uh, that were distressed in the wake of the housing bubble uh, p- collapse and the economic crisis, they were being sold in like mass auctions in Dublin. And the kind of prices they were going for are really astonishing to look at today. In some cases, you know, I was told by an investor who was buying at the time that prices were down 70, even 90% compared to the valuation that they had prior to the crash. Uh, So it was clear that they were bargain basement prices. There was also a slash um, on stamp duty. Um, So this this attracted not just, you know, this particular family from Luxembourg, it attracted in investors from all over the world, from the US, uh, institutional investors, hedge funds um, came in seeing those opportunities. And that turned out to be a really, really profitable investment for a lot of people, because not only did the prices of the properties recover, but they were also able to bring in quite significant rents. And we know now, you know, that the level of rents in Dublin and the demand that there is, those people had excellent timing. And the reason why it was international investors is what I was told is it's because the banks in Ireland were not lending. So that was an opportunity for people overseas. We always hear that, you know, it's investing in property is one thing, but they're investing in rental properties. And we we always hear that the rules on mainland Europe for renters are very, very different than they are in Ireland, that there's massive layers of protection. Do you think, or is this sort of a speculation too far, that Ireland was a particularly attractive investment for the Goddard family for these residential investments because our rules are not so strict? I think it's worth remembering, why are we looking into this Luxembourg family? Why is this entire story of interest? It's not simply because someone from overseas came and invested in Ireland. There's nothing nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's because of the practices of Mark Goddard as a landlord. It's because he he evicted an apartment block full of tenants of about 40 people saying that he was going to sell it, but then put their rooms on Airbnb. And since we've put out these stories, you know, we've been being contacted by people who have also had dealings with Mark Goddard. And what we're hearing again and again is that um, he sublets properties without permission. Um, So, for example, um, you know, a colleague, uh, Olivia Kelly, reported this week that um, he rented a property and then without no, without telling the owners or asking permission from the owners, he put it up, uh, he was renting it out on Airbnb and that they're seeking to evict him for that reason. I've also spoken to other people um, who rented out their family home thinking that he was going to live in it. 
they had to move to the west of Ireland for work only to discover that strangers were living in the house and that he'd erected a partition wall in their living room. And in a very, very small house, about 12 people were living there in bunk beds. Um, and that this description of filling rooms with bunk beds, like four bunk beds to a room, this occurs again and again. We've heard that about Reuben House uh, the, that was subsequently put on Airbnb. It was also highlighted in an RTE documentary back in the COVID-19 pandemic when the uh, reporters went to a property that was being let by Green Label Investments, which is one of his companies, and found that an apartment that would fit 12, that was set up to, to accommodate 12 people sharing only one toilet. And again, it was bunk beds stacked into rooms. And when I was in Luxembourg, it was something that I was told was that, you know, stacking rooms with bunk beds isn't allowed in Luxembourg you know, that, that that wouldn't be allowed. Regulators would shut that down. The story is getting coverage here, of course, because of the way Mark, Mark Goddard has been treating his tenants. Is it getting any coverage in Luxembourg? My understanding is that journalists in Luxembourg have become aware of this story and are looking into it and that um, there could well be some coverage coming out in the coming days. Obviously, the story hasn't ended um, and you're still following up on it. So how much can you tell us about what you're working on? We have a couple more leads to be looking into. Um, there's really been an outpouring of people approaching uh, the newspaper with um, stories to tell about the experience they've had with Mark Goddard in a, in a variety of different interactions, tenants, uh, people who led to him, people who had dealings with him. I'm also looking into a number of other stories regarding um, his companies and also following up what seem to be political links of his family in Luxembourg. And it's all building up a picture of, you know, it, it just really confirms what we know about his approach to letting out properties, which is this tactic of stacking them with bunk beds and especially putting things on Airbnb without the permission of perhaps the person who owns the property or even of the tenants who live there already. Uh, that seems to be a recurring theme that he doesn't ask people in the house uh, before increasing the number of people who live there or putting it on Airbnb. Coming up. We'll hear one couple's story of what happened when Mark Goddard rented their property after this short break. Irene Hayden and Frank Kavanagh had been renting out a house near St James's Hospital in Dublin 8 for more than 20 years. It's a two-bedroom red brick terraced house and Mark Goddard became their tenant in October 2019. Irene and Frank, how did you find Mark Goddard and what did you know about him? What did you know about your new tenant? So basically, we didn't actually find him. We employed an estate agent who got him for us. So we never got to meet him, but she did furnish us with the required documents that we needed, as in the a bank statement, um, a character reference from a solicitor in Luxembourg, um, and his passport. So we didn't question anything. The reason for the lack of a landlord reference was he quoted that he had never rented before in Ireland. He'd just come from Luxembourg. Okay, so apart from that small detail, it was all all very normal for you, I, I assume. Now, during the pandemic, uh, you, like a lot of small private landlords, gave him a, a rent reduction. Uh, why was that? No, he, he wrote us. We noticed that his rent had been reduced in one of the months. Um, and I contacted him asking 
had he made a mistake? And he said, no, he his income because of the, the lockdown had reduced to zero and he had no income coming in. So he felt he should he could only afford us to pay that amount of rent. He also said at the same time then told us that he had moved a friend of his in as to uh, sublet it to help pay the rent, um, which was nearest to us in breach of his, his tenancy. But um, we let that go. We let it slide. We told him well, we could re- reduce the, bond, the rent until the government relaxed the laws, which were due to come up in uh, the following month. Um, so we let him reduce the rent to 1500 for two months. So, I mean, at that I, at that point when he was saying he'd no money, you had absolutely no idea that this guy ha- had a huge portfolio of properties in Ireland himself and vast directors' uh, remuneration. But when did you become suspicious that everything wasn't quite right with the tenancy? So on the 25th of May, we became aware that um, he was actually renting our house out on Airbnb. Um, and when we went on to investigate, we could see pictures of our house. And not only that, but also um, comments and reviews saying what a brilliant host that Mark was and what a fantastic find it was and so close to the city centre and he'll show you around. It's a great place to stay. And not only that, but it was also booked up solidly until the end of October. So he had already during COVID, he'd said, look, I've sublet a room. Is this not another, like, is this not another way of subletting or is this totally outside the tenancy? Well, his original sublet was totally outside the tenancy. But he said it was a personal friend of his that um, because they could no longer work to a beautician, that they had no way to, of paying their rent. So the government at the time was asking landlords to be lenient and be, allow people so... We let that slide, but this is a completely new. This is taking in, you know, other uh, fee-paying holidaymakers on short-term lets um, into a property, which um, we were very upset about. And when you say short-term, where is it by a week or normally on Airbnb, a lot of sites would have a minimum stay, but he would take people on a daily basis. There was no problem at fifty-one euros yeah, a night. Fifty-one, 51 euros a night per person. Seventy weekends and fifty-one during the week per person. What happened then? We inspected the property. There was minor damage in places that he he was pointing out to us. The locks on the on the bedroom that we knew at that time that he was renting out had been broken. The door had been replaced. The door, the back door lock was was broken. So I pointed out a lot of uh, this, which we we uh, took with a pinch of salt as we knew what he'd been up to. We then sent him an informal letter asking to explain himself. He uh, immediately realised he'd been rumbled and took the the ad down and gave us a one-line letter saying he assured us that the property was not listed on Airbnb, which was obvious because he'd just taken it down. So we then knew that we'd have to go through the the full uh, formal route. So we sent him a 28-day warning notice, asking him again to explain his position and make several corrections, which he uh, failed to do so. So then in September, we served him with an eviction notice, asking him to vacate the property on the 10th of okay. October. And did he? Uh, no, no, he's no. still there. He didn't, and he didn't respond to that letter. He didn't respond to emails. He didn't respond to text messages. And I called to the house about three times, and he was never there. 
So you were sort of dealing with the situation in, in if that started basically in May last year. You were dealing with your tenant, then you went to the the the, the tenancy board. So all this was going in the background. <laughs> like, what did you think or how did you feel when you suddenly saw this guy's name in the headlines? That he was, in fact, while all this was going on, he was, in fact, evicting tenants from his own property and he was turning his that, that property into Airbnb. And then there was other stories coming out about Mark Goddard. How did, you, how did you feel about that, that you were caught up in this sort of quite public thing? We were absolutely horrified, Bernice, to see that, to see the headlines. And it was like it was like watching a movie unfolding in front of us. It was like headline after headline and article after article where we just found his name everywhere. And we couldn't believe that this is the man we actually have living in our house. It was quite scary because we began to question who does he have in the house and what is he doing? And in the meantime, we're also receiving complaints from neighbours about unruly behaviour and the guards have been called. And it has been very stressful, quite terrifying, to be honest, at times, um, feeling completely out of control. It's our house and we don't know who's in it or what's happening in it. So for both of us, it has been... extremely stressful time and it's been a long time as well and so when you think of it the 25th of May is when this first unfolded and we're now mid-April so it's a long long time to carry it and wonder what he's doing there and, and when can we actually get him out if at all. What's the next step do you think? We've had our PRTB case hearing last Friday and it did take this many months to come up but we eventually did have it So um, we are now awaiting the decision of the adjudicator. She will give her final decision to the PRTB, who will pass it on to us. She couldn't say exactly what length of time it'll be, but she reckons within the month. So hopefully within the next three weeks, we should have a decision. Olivia Kelly, you first wrote about the story just at the start of the month and there's been plenty more coverage since. And along with that, there have been many attempts by the Irish Times to talk to Mark Goddard and get his version of the events. Have we had any luck with that? No. I have a, a phone number for Mark Goddard and any time I'd be writing about him and my colleagues obviously would do similar, we'd always call him. It's definitely a legitimate phone number because it has his own voicemail on it and leave messages and ask him to to contact us. He also has an email address which he has contacted the Irish Times on um, and we've used this to contact him to ask him to speak to us but he, he hasn't returned those emails. In his email to you, is he refuting any of the points you've made or? He's not. No, what he's asking, the reason he emailed is to ask that uh, um, information about him would be removed from the Irish Times website. Uh, Pictures and articles would be taken down. Um, And I can give you just a a flavour of what he's asked. He has said, please remove my picture from the top of various articles. Uh, He has asked that any information about his various investments and company structures abroad would also be removed. Um, He refers to a a recent article I wrote about 
eviction proceedings that are being taken against him and uh, for a house that he rents in Kilmainham. And he said, given what I have experienced over the last week, I would be glad if that picture could equally be removed. He's referring to a picture that runs with that article. Um, but he doesn't expand on what he has experienced over the last week. And he signs off, many thanks for your help, Mark. And he doesn't refute anything you've written. No, he doesn't. Okay, so we heard earlier about former tenants who had won their case against uh, Mr Goddard at the Residential Tenancies Board. Uh, They won awards, they won money, but they haven't been paid yet. So, like, where does that stand? Well, the Residential Tenancies Board makes determination orders, and that's the order that they make saying what must happen in a particular instance. Um, They can then go themselves, the Residential Tenancies Board, to the courts to have those orders enforced. But equally so can the tenants. Now, obviously, going to the courts can be an expensive process, but in some cases they will get uh, free legal aid to do that and that can make it easier on them. But that's the next destination. If somebody isn't abiding by the determination orders of the Residential Tenancies Board, the next step is really the courts and to get the court to enforce these orders. Olivia, thanks very much for coming into the podcast. Thanks, Bernice. That's all for today. Thanks to Irene Hayden and Frank Kavanagh, also to Naomi O'Leary and Olivia Kelly, and reporter Colm Keena for his work on this story. <laughs>